Well, good morning, everyone. And I must say, it is wonderful to be back. It's wonderful to see you all here, having survived the COVID, those of us that did, and we give praise to God for keeping us safe. I must say, most of you look like you haven't aged. And I guess you're saying the same about me. But it is indeed wonderful to be with you. We, we often remember you. We talk about the work here. and We think about you when we have our family worship. And uh, we love you dearly. And tonight we hope you can all come back and see the slides. And we'll talk about some of the things we've been doing in Uganda now. For nine years we've been there. God has faithfully kept us. And uh, in one of my sermons I said it's been 30 years I've been a believer this year. 30 years ago in 92, I was saved in Tenerife. And I said, there have not been years of victory over sin. There have not been 30 years of triumph. They've been 30 years of struggle. But the Lord has kept us. And I often say to my students, you know that poem about the footsteps, don't you? And it says, sometimes at the end, he says... There was just one set of prints. And the Lord says, that's where I carried you. Well, in my dream, there was a long line. And uh, I said, what's that long line? And the Lord said, that's where I dragged you. (laughs) That's the when I had to drag you along. And that's true, isn't it? For most of us, that's the case. But we rejoice in being here this morning. It's wonderful to see Russ here. Wonderful to see the, the next chapter beginning. In this ministry. And I can say this can't I. Because I've been through different pastors. You know we've had that change. A change is always a difficult time. Now he's a handsome man. Give him a chance. <laughs> Stick with him. And you, know, and you know what my missus says to me. Sometimes in the morning. To pray for the pastor. Pray for him. Amen. Amen. Right then. Let's look at John chapter 4. Jesus and the woman of Samaria. Let me just give you a bit of background. Owen, my friend, he came out to um, uh, Uganda and I was preaching on the passage where, uh, uh, where some Greeks go to Philip and they say, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And I finished the sermon and at the end, Owen said to me, there's a series there. And we were like, oh yeah. And we put our heads together and we came up with a list of people who wanted to see Jesus or who did see Jesus. And that's why this is number three, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Because this was the third in the series. Now let's read together John chapter 4 from verse 5. Uh, So he, that is Jesus, came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, 
How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living, this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank of it from himself, drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Verse 39, drop drop down to there. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Saviour of the world. Amen. 
Let's pray. Father, help us to hear, help us to listen, help us to learn, and afterward, Lord God, help us to go out and do likewise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, it's the third in the series. Number two was Zacchaeus who climbed the tree. Number four was blind Bartimaeus. Number five was Nicodemus. Number six was Herod. And number seven was John in Revelation. I think if you go on, if you look up ABC Radio on YouTube, you'll see um, that all, most of the sermons at African Bible University are on there. And you might be able to find those where I'm preaching them. Now, like I said before, we had a number of Greeks. Now we have an unnumbered group of people known as only many Samaritans. And in fact, actually, the title is a little bit misleading, isn't it? Because it's not so much, sir, we wish to see Jesus as madam. Because it was the woman's testimony, wasn't it? That they listened to and then they went to see Jesus. And it was the woman at the well who leaves her water jar to go tell those people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? I wonder if you've ever said that to someone. Come see a man who, told, who knows all that I ever did. Now, and though it seems, doesn't it, in the story that Jesus was the thirsty one, it was the town full of Samaritans whose thirst, we read, was satisfied. Now, what of your thirst? What about you? So we've got a woman, a well, and a great outpouring of living water. And I want to make three observations from this uh, episode in uh, John's Gospel. And number one is this. When you see Jesus, everything else fades into insignificance. If you've seen Jesus, everything else fades into insignificance. What do I mean? Well, look at that verse 28. Verse 28 says, So the woman left her water jar and went away into town. Now, it's not a sentence written in bold, is it? It's not, uh, it, doesn't, it might not have even seemed important as we were reading it, but it is of great significance. Well, because we have to ask ourselves, why was the woman at the well? Why was she there? Well, obviously she wanted water. She wanted to fetch water. And some say that she would have gone there alone in the heat of the day, uh, the hottest time of the day, to avoid being seen by others. Now, in Uganda, it's the same. Many families living in the village, they will live in mud huts. And uh, the children will go very early in the morning. Before it gets daylight, 7 o'clock it gets daylight, 7 o'clock at night gets dark, every day of the year. But the children will be down at the well at the pump, 6 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock, pumping water before it gets too hot. And the sixth hour here, that's a funny thing, isn't it? Well, in Uganda, they say it's the same. The, t the day starts at six in the morning. So six o'clock is 12 o'clock midday. 
Sometimes you'll say to a Ugandan, what's the time? And they'll say five o'clock and you'll think, it can't be five. Oh, yes, it's sorry, it's 11 o'clock in the morning. And that's how it works. So that's why they say it's the sixth hour. This woman is there in midday. Now, why is she there at midday? Well, I think it's because she had a bad reputation. And we all know why, don't we? But we're told, you see, that she left the jar. And so what does that mean? Well, it means she'll have to go back, doesn't it? Later on. And when she goes back, there's going to be other people there. And she's risking being called names. Risk being mocked because of these husbands she's had. But now it seems it doesn't matter anymore because she has Jesus. You think about that. That's right. Amen. You see, and once you have Jesus, everything else just fades into insignificance. And that was a reading Russ gave us, didn't he, about the pearl and the hidden treasure. Everything else is worthless compared to that treasure. And that's why the man sold all he had to buy the field. And the other one did the same. You see, once you hear that call from God... There's nothing else you want to do but obey it. Now, um, I'm going to use an illustration in the Bible, but I'm guessing not many of you are from a farming background. But, you know, in in Uganda they are, and, and they all know something about it. Many of them they have to farm even if they're pastors. And, and, and in Uganda there's nothing more important than a cow. Now, our, our, our Vice-Chancellor, Dr. Robertson, he once went to a wedding where the groom stood up. He was from the north of Uganda, and he compared his wife to a cow. And, uh, now, if you did that in England, I don't suggest you do that yourselves, gentlemen, but this man did. And everyone else was like, whoa, that's a good thing. It was a wonderful compliment. Um, but, of course, yeah, please don't do it here. And so, according to Bible times and Uganda, to all farmers and shepherds, it was no different. You know, a cow was a wonderful thing. It's so important. So what do we make of the call of Elisha? I want you to bear that in mind, and and we'll think about 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm just going to read three verses there about the call of Elisha. And it says in verse 19 of 1 Kings 19, So he, Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. That's 24. That's 12 pairs. And he's with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And Elisha left the oxen, and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. You see, to Elisha, however important the cows were, and they were very important, 
um, they were so important that actually he sacrificed them so they wouldn't be a snare or a temptation to him and tempt him to return to that farming life. However important they were, he killed them. And he cooked them. Now some of you might say, oh yeah, but he went back to his mother and father to kiss them. Well, yes, because actually he was honouring his mother and father, wasn't he? That's a commandment. And he was likely to not be seeing them again, or at least for a very long time. The Bible tells us he burnt the 24 oxen and the yokes, the wood that held the oxen together, which would have been very expensive, and he fed the village. You see, to Elisha, the call of God was more important than cows and family. They were no longer going to be the significant thing in his life. From now on, it was God. Now, what of you and what of me? What do we need to cast aside? What do we need to forget about? You know, for me, when I was saved 30 years ago in Tenerife, it was certain friends, it was certain company. I had a girlfriend and she was unsaved, she had to go. Even nights out with my dad, had to stop. Now what about you? Is there something you know is hindering your progress in the Christian life? In in your Christian walk? Uh, Is it an old girlfriend or an old boyfriend you can't get away from? Sexual sin? Is there a promise you've made to someone? Or is there an old habit that you can't give up? Maybe you've got drinking buddies or someone from your past. Well, don't go back. Just text them. Let it, let them, let all of it fade into insignificance. Don't turn back. Don't look back. Set your back to the past and press on to a higher ground. You know, if you do Facebook, you notice, don't you? When you go on Facebook, all these old friends, they're forever looking back. It's always about the past, what they did. As Christians, we need to be saying what's coming ahead. That's what we're doing. I don't look back at the past. I'm looking ahead. I'm looking ahead to heaven. We're not to be like Lot's wife. And actually, let's not be like Lot either. He wasn't so good, was he? We should shake the dust off our feet and don't look back. Let those things that hinder... Be cast aside. They no longer matter. Compared to Jesus, they're completely insignificant. They no longer matter. They're no longer important. Jesus paid it all. We often sing, well, then Jesus should be your all. Amen? Amen. When you've seen Jesus, everything else should fade into insignificance. That's the first thing. Now, the second thing. When you see Jesus, you just have to tell everyone you know. Yes? And if you've seen Jesus, you should have told everyone you know. Verse 28 again. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, 
Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She just had to tell everyone, regardless of whether they would listen or not. She had to tell them. Think about it. It was the greatest thing that had ever happened to her. It could and it would be the greatest thing that ever happened to them. Now maybe it's excitement that makes her run off and tell them. Maybe it's an outpouring of love for those people in the village. But maybe it's the compelling of the Holy Spirit. Most likely it's a bit of all three. She had to tell them. Now who have you told? Who are you telling? Now turn again to Matthew chapter 9. And verse 27 to 31. We read there. That Jesus passed on from there. As he passed on from there. Two blind men followed him. Crying aloud. Have mercy on us. Son of David. When he entered the house. The blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. So then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it so done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district you see even when you are told not to tell anyone even by Jesus himself once you've seen him it seems impossible not to tell doesn't it I was witnessing to some friends soon after I was converted and one lad who didn't seem to appreciate it he leant forward and he punched me In the mouth, in the lip. I told him, it doesn't matter how often you do it, I'm still going to tell people. And he did it again. I didn't tell him anymore. (laughs) I stopped telling him, but it didn't stop me telling everyone else. And praise God, some were saved back in those Tenerife days. Now, is this your experience? Is Is it still my experience? It ought to be, hadn't it? If if we've really seen Jesus, we should be like this woman, desperate to tell others. But you know, after 30 years of being saved, still I'll bump into people from my past who say, well, I never even knew. Well, and they say, some of them say, tell me about it. Well, let's make sure we do. And I'm sure that's the same for you. Tell them about Jesus. Now, don't get weary witnessing of what he has done for you and what he is still doing. I think that's important. Again, don't be bogged down with those stories of 10, 20 or 30 years ago. Tell them what he's doing for you today. What he gives you, that peace of mind, that confidence of a home in heaven. Tell them. But just keep this in mind, however good your testimony is, however miraculous it seems to you, don't be disappointed if it seems to fall on deaf ears. Um, When I was thinking about this passage of the woman of the well, I was comparing it 
to the story of the legion. You remember legion in Mark 5, the man who was full of the demons. You remember that one throwing himself about, getting cut to bits and everything. Um, it's, we, we, he's in Mark, in Mark um, 5 and this woman in John 4. Both the woman and legion, the demoniac, they both encounter Jesus. They both see Jesus. And both are saved. Now one had many demons and the other had many husbands. Some women would say there's a similarity there. Um, I'm not saying that. But we see, don't we, as well, that the good news is heard in both towns. What else we see? Both townspeople, they come out to see Jesus. Both towns witness the saving power of Jesus firsthand. They see it with their own eyes. Yet, we find that one people ask Jesus to stay and the other beg Jesus to leave. Now, isn't that amazing? Especially when you think about which was the greater miracle. You know, I would say this demoniac who's throwing himself about really mad and suddenly is in an instant normal seems to be a far obvious and greater miracle than this woman who maybe looks the same um, but says she's saved and that someone told her all about herself. I'm sure you agree with me that the greater miracle, the more obvious one, did nothing to stir people's hearts and affections towards God. Or show their need to be saved. It seemed they'd rather have the money that the pigs were worth. Yet the lesser miracle, the less obvious one, stirred many to want to hear more from Jesus and be saved. You see, miracles and marvellous testimonies do not amount to much if the Spirit of God does not stir men's hearts. And you see, we've heard, haven't we, already about worshipping in spirit and in truth. And as Russ said at the beginning, that's why scripture is so much more important than miracles and marvellous testimonies. Amen? Amen? And we're fools if we think that, because if you remember, even ten plagues did not change Pharaoh's heart. But still, we must tell them. Tell them what God has done for you. And we have to tell them. Everything else is utterly insignificant. So we see first, uh, everything fades. Secondly, we must tell them. And third and finally, if you want to see Jesus, you must see him and believe in him for yourself. Now I'm talking about seeing Jesus in heaven now. I'm not, talking, I'm not talking about you having some vision. I'm talking about when you die. Because you see, although I, I, I do believe that all will no doubt see him and bow down before him in the last day, it is only the elect, only the saved who will see Jesus face to face and live forever with him. This is the kind of seeing Jesus I'm talking about. Now verse 39 in the second part of our reading it reads. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Because of the woman's testimony he told me all that I ever did. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, for we, now, for we know that this is indeed the saviour of the world. Now, no doubt this woman had a powerful testimony. And we all love a rags-to-riches story, don't we? And there's not many better ones than this. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Wow, she's some woman, yes? There are five husbands plus one on the way. And I wonder how many children she had from all these husbands. And I wonder how many other husbands she's known. She's some woman. I'm sure you get what I mean. So she must have been the subject of a lot of gossip. There must have been a lot of bad talk about her. She must have been the butt of many jokes around town. But yet what do we read? We read that all the town went out after hearing her testimony to go see Jesus. That's the difference only Jesus can make. You see, when you've seen Jesus, when he saves you, he transforms you, doesn't he? And everyone can see it. There's no denying it. And I know something about this myself. So just before I was saved, I knew a lad called Lee. He was from Bolton. And he was in Tenerife. And one night we went out, me, Lee and Mickey. And we went out and we started off, we were smoking a bit, a bit of, you know, marijuana then we probably took some tablets and we had a pretty wild night. Well, at the end of the night, I said to Lee, I mean, I said to Mickey, I don't want to go out with that Lee again. And he said, well, why not? I said, well, did you see the look in his eye? I said, his eyes. I said, it was terrifying. And I meant it. It terrified me. Well, about six weeks later, I was working outside a hotel doing the timeshare and Lee pulled up on a scooter and he jumped off the scooter and he was buzzing and he had a different look in his eye. I said, what's happened to you? And he said, I'm born again. I said, oh yeah, I says, I'm a Christian, yeah. He said, oh no, you're not. He says, you're not born again. I said, but I believe in Jesus and I believe in God. He says, yeah, but you're not born again. And you know what? I knew I didn't have what he had. I knew I didn't have that look in my eye. And I knew just standing there looking at him that I wanted it. And you know, Lee gave me a new testament. I couldn't read it or understand it. And he invited me to church. He kept forgetting to pick me up and I ended up going on my own. But it led to me being saved. Because, you see, I can see something in his eyes. 
There was something different about him. Jesus had transformed Lee. And whatever it was, I wanted it. That's how powerful it was, that look in his eye. And you see, this, that is the effect of transforming faith. That is the result of a true encounter with the saving power of Jesus Christ. And that is what happened, isn't it? This must have happened to this woman. Look at her. The people of Sychar, they must have said, listen to her. What's happened to her? Why she got that look about her? Why is she smiling like that? She, she seems to be shining. I'm going to see for myself. And what do we read? I reckon that those that went well, they may have gone in a group. They may have gone alone. But it seems that they were determined, weren't they, to find out for themselves. And what does it say in verse 42? It's no longer... Because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the saviour of the world. You see, a testimony can't save you. However good or dramatic it sounds. Only Jesus Christ and believing in him and his death on the cross can save a person. His substitutionary death. His death instead of your death. So our testimony ought to be less about us and more about him. In fact, it ought all to be about him. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? That's what she said. She says, come see a man. She starts with Jesus who told me all that I ever did. He told me all that I ever did. Again, it's a, maybe you could say it's about herself, but not much. Then she says, can this be the Christ? She turns her focus back again to Jesus. And let us be sure that we do the self. When, when someone tells us what happened to you, make sure that Jesus is big and that you are small and Jesus is big. Do it so that those who hear want to know more about him than you. Do it so that those who hear might want to see him for themselves. Do it so that they, like you, will forget everything they were doing and want to go to him straight away. You know, we can assume, can't we, that the people of the town, they went straight away in order to see Jesus before he left, before he moved on. And like the woman left the jar, they left their homes. Maybe some of them left their work job. Some of them maybe left their wives and, and wives left their husbands. And they went straight away. What a testimony. No. What a saviour. Have you seen him? Have you believed in him? Have you left everything behind? In your pursuit of him. You see that's the litmus test isn't it? That's what shows that we are true believers. What did I leave behind. When I first heard his call. When I first believed. Was he? Is he more important than food and drink? Friends and family? Gold and silver he ought to be. Have you seen him? 
Do you wish to see him? Then leave everything. Go seek him with all your heart. For if you do as the Bible promises, you will surely find him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this wonderful story of the woman at the well. And Lord God, we, many of us here testify, we have seen you. Lord God, help us to go tell others about you. And help them to see him for for themselves. Help us, oh Lord God, to forsake the world, the things of the world, that we might see you in your fullness. And not be ashamed of loving the world in that last day. Oh Lord God, turn our eyes upon Jesus. To look full in his wonderful face. So that the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And we pray in his wonderful name. Amen. Amen.